Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from the press briefing that took place earlier this week on Monday, September 14th, with an introduction from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LA Public Health. And now, here's Supervisor Barger. Thank you. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's press briefing. I'm Supervisor Katherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Our Public Health Director, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, is here to provide our update on COVID-19 case counts and recent trends in Los Angeles County. Over the past few, several months, as our region has responded to this pandemic, I have been heartened to see many people respond with compassion and resiliency as we endure this public health crisis. Thousands of volunteers distributed food to those in need, neighbors offered to lend a hand to seniors, and businesses went above and beyond to support and protect their employees. All of this is a testament to the communities working together to weather this storm. But during these dark times, we are also bearing witness to the worst in people. Communities across the nation and here in our town and county, we are victim to people who prey on the vulnerable and who turn peace into hate. Protests and demonstrations have turned ugly and led to violence and looting, which has hurt people and destroyed businesses. Now, over the weekend, things took an even darker turn as two of our Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies were ambushed while sitting in their car. I was horrified to see the chilling account of the two young deputies ambushed while stationed outside the MLK Transit Center in Compton. The reports of protesters chanting and jeering outside the hospital are even more disturbing as the deputies were in critical condition inside. To condemn these actions would be an understatement. In response to the tragic attack, Supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas and I are offering a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the capture of the person who committed this heinous crime. The events of this weekend have made it clear to me that the anti-law enforcement rhetoric expressed by many elected officials, community leaders, and others has created a toxic environment amid the time of civil unrest. Not only is this dangerous for those who are working to serve and protect us, but for the communities that they are trying to protect. I said it over the weekend and I will say it again now, this must stop. Enough is enough. I will do whatever is needed to end this damaging rhetoric in order to restore compassion and peace to our communities. Now is the time, especially as we continue to confront COVID-19 and the profound impact it has had on our students, older adults, vulnerable populations, and our local workforce. We need to stay focused on supporting each other during this time of profound difficulty. Let's save our energy for helping children and youth, serving our vulnerable residents, and supporting businesses so Los Angeles County can and will emerge stronger than before. I have faith we can do it, but we must work together to do so. Please keep the deputies and their families in your thoughts and prayers. With that, I would like to invite Dr. Barbara Ferrer up. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Barger, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. 
These are unprecedented times for LA County and for our country, and I'm very grateful for your strength and remarkable leadership. Uh, and I too want to send my thoughts and prayers to our two sheriff deputies who were victims of cowardly act of senseless and cruel violence. And I hope everyone in our county joins us in sending prayers and wishes for a full recovery. Uh, and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, today I want to share data that demonstrates how the actions we all take to slow the spread of COVID-19 have a ripple effect across our county, including among people who are most vulnerable for serious illness and even death. We often talk about how the decisions we make and what we do in our day-to-day -day lives in terms of preventing the transmission of the virus are not only to protect ourselves, but also allow us to protect other people. And while for many people still across the county, they may not even know of anyone who's been positive for COVID-19, let alone someone who's experienced serious illness from the virus, unfortunately, for far too many others, this virus is very personal. They have become sick and they may still be feeling the effects of their sickness weeks or even months later. Thousands of people have had long hospital stays and tens of thousands of people are facing a future without someone they love because that person passed away from COVID-19. Our collective goal has been and remains to have as many people as possible avoid having to experience any of the suffering and loss associated with COVID-19. And today, I want to share a set of graphs that demonstrate the impact among some of our most vulnerable residents. First slide, please. Uh, this is a graph that we show often, but it's a good visual representation of how the actions of individuals and businesses affect the spread of the virus in our county. And as you can see, we've added information on different decisions that we've made around restricting and reopening uh, various opportunities for people to gather. As a result of the Safer at Home order, when people were asked to stay home in March unless they needed to access essential services, and when schools and many businesses were closed for in-person services, the number of cases remained fairly steady at about 1,000 or less new cases per day. As we reopened recreational opportunities and businesses starting on May 8th, and as people were exposed to more non-household members went out, whether they were at work, while shopping, while protesting, or while celebrating Memorial Day and July 4th holidays, we saw cases and as a result, hospitalizations and deaths increase. And you can see that clearly here. Uh, and in mid-July, we saw a spike that was quite alarming. After reclosing some businesses, and this started around July 1st, and moving other business operations outdoors, we've started to see our case numbers decrease significantly, and we're back to consistently slowing the spread. Next slide, please. Uh, this slide shows a similar trend for cases amongst pregnant women over time. As cases increased across LA County, so too did they increase among pregnant women. In late May and early June, we are seeing an average of about 45 cases per week among pregnant women. Through June and early July, we start seeing the sharp increase in cases, peaking at 157 weekly cases in mid-July. 
and as we've implemented modifications to the health officer orders to limit activities that allowed for a lot more exposures, we now see weekly cases among women who are pregnant decreasing as well. Next slide, please. Likewise, cases among children also spiked in July. In late July, cases among children ages 12 to 17, and that's represented by the yellow line, spiked to 869 cases in a week. This was an alarming increase when compared with the average of about 400 cases per week that we were seeing in June. And among children ages 5 to 11, we see a similar spike, and that's represented by the green line. Uh, and here in late July, we saw cases, uh, weekly cases peak at 730 cases compared to an average of about 300 cases per week that we saw in the previous month. And even amongst our very youngest children, ages zero to four, we see the July increase, peaking in early August at 311 cases in one week, compared with around 100 to 150 cases per week in June. Fortunately, among all age categories, the weekly number of cases are starting to decrease as well. Next slide, please. Because we know that although very rare, COVID-19 cases among children can result in serious illness, we track multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, MISC, a condition where different body parts can become inflamed, including the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the brain, the skin, the eyes, or gastrointestinal organs. We know that many children with MISC had the virus that causes COVID-19 and or had antibodies present, indicating that at some point they had seen the virus. In LA County, we have had 34 reported cases of MISC, and fortunately, we've had no deaths attributed to MISC. And this graph shows, however, that while the numbers are not large, MISC cases also sharply increased in July. There were 13 cases that month compared to five cases in May, eight cases in June, and six cases in August. The next slide, please. As of September 12th, we've reported 1,689 confirmed COVID-19 cases and 44 deaths among people experiencing homelessness. This graph shows cases, and that's the white line, and deaths, which is the orange line, among people experiencing homelessness by every week. The first spike in cases in late April represents, a large, represents in large part an outbreak at a shelter and the subsequent testing of hundreds of shelter guests. But like the rest of the county, following reopenings and the July 4th holiday, when we saw an overall spike in cases, there was a similar spike among people experiencing homelessness. And as we have seen in the overall population, we have now seen the number of weekly cases among people experiencing homelessness decrease in August. Next slide, please. Uh, we do get asked a lot of questions about the status of people experiencing homelessness, uh, whether they're sheltered, uh, primarily staying at a shelter, or they're living unsheltered. And we can see in this slide that 862 people that were living in shelters have tested positive over time for COVID-19. And that's represented by the white bars. And 586 people who were unsheltered, represented by the orange bar, have also tested positive for this virus. 
There's a portion of the population of people experiencing homelessness for whom their sheltered status is not known. And among these, there's 241 cases then represented by the blue bar of people experiencing homelessness who tested positive for COVID-19. If we look at the July spike in cases, we can see that there were increased cases amongst both unsheltered and sheltered people, 77 cases and 47 respectively, compared to an average of around 35 cases per week amongst both groups in the, week leading, in the weeks leading up to this spike. There are essential ongoing efforts to improve access to testing for both people who are experiencing homelessness, living in shelters, and people who are unsheltered. And I want to thank the Department of Health Services and all of our partner organizations for making this possible. I shared many numbers in these slides, and I'm acutely aware that behind these graphs and the spikes in cases are stories about real people, including children, even very young children. The numbers include women who are pregnant and whose immune system has changed because of their pregnancy. And the numbers also represent some of our most vulnerable residents in the community, people who are experiencing homelessness. Actions that increase transmission and actions that decrease transmission of COVID-19 have a ripple effect amongst all of us. And now I wanna update you on our current status. Noting that as always, uh, lower numbers of cases and deaths on Monday often represent a delay in the weekend reporting. Uh, but I am sad to report an additional 24 people have passed away from COVID-19. Nine of the people who died are over the age of 80 and six people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Five people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, and four people in this age group who passed away had underlying health conditions. 10 people who died are between the ages of 50 and 64, and eight people in this age group had underlying health conditions. This does unfortunately bring the total number of deaths to 6,231 in LA County. And I know so many are experiencing profound sorrow because they've lost a loved one or a friend to COVID-19. Our hearts go out to each of you during this difficult time. 92% of persons who have died from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. And as I've noted before, this number has not changed. So everyone with underlying health conditions needs to continue to take uh, all of the precautions, including staying home as much as possible. For the 5,859 people who have passed away where race, ethnicity has been identified, 51% are Latino, Latina, Latinx, 23% are white, 15% are Asian, 10% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. And we're reporting 733 new cases today. Again, I wanna note the weekend lag in reporting. This brings the total number of cases in LA County to 254,656. These cases include 11,170 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 2,476 cases reported by the city of Pasadena, both which have independent city health departments. 775 people are currently hospitalized with COVID-19 and 34% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, while 18% are on ventilators. 
Uh, we've investigated a total of 1,747 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Of these, 779 are currently uh, under investigation, but we've closed 968 investigations because in those sites we've gone 14 days without any new cases. The total confirmed cases in institutional settings is 33,625, and this includes 17,005 among residents and 16,620 among staff. I am sad to report that we've had a slight increase in the number of people in institutional settings who have passed away from COVID-19. The number is now 2,756, with 2,487 of the folks who have passed away in institutional settings uh, were people who resided in our nursing facilities. And again, we extend our heartfelt condolences to all. Of the 24 reported, newly reported deaths today, five were people who resided in our skilled nursing facilities. Over 2.4 million people have been tested in LA County and had their results reported to the health department and 10% were positive. Uh, slowing the spread of the virus has required us to work together in ways that we really hadn't needed to do before. From our government agencies to our community organizations and institutions, from our businesses to each and every resident in our community. So many have taken and continue to take actions to protect themselves and just as importantly, to protect other people. This pandemic is frustrating and heartbreaking. And not the least of it is that we desperately want to go back to living our lives the way they were before. And unfortunately, as we've already experienced, doing so creates illness and devastation for so many, including people who are very vulnerable. And for this reason, I'm extraordinarily grateful for everyone who's doing what's right during a pandemic and being part of the solution to drive down the transmission so that we can get our children back to schools and people back to work. Over the next six weeks, public health will be working with schools across the county that are reopening for services for a limited number of cohorted students with high need for in-person support. To date, public health has received 59 applications from schools to reopen for these special services. And we will be posting weekly at the end of every Monday the list of schools who have submitted applications. And these schools can expect that our public health team of specialists will be in touch to provide technical assistance. I want to close by noting that over the last two weeks, given the fire danger and extreme weather we've seen, there's been a decrease in testing, even though our testing capacity across the county remains high. And I do want to encourage people and remind people to get tested if you're having any symptoms of COVID-19. If you've been in contact with a person who tested positive for COVID-19, if you think there's a chance you were exposed to COVID-19 because you're working, especially in essential services, in a place where you're frequently exposed to other people who may not be taking protections. And if you live in a place where you share living spaces with other people who may, not, who may be positive for COVID-19, you should get tested. I also want to note that if you have been in a crowd 
or a gathering where people were close together and not wearing face coverings or keeping their distance, you should consider getting tested as well. By finding out if you're positive, even if you have no symptoms yet, you can quickly isolate and prevent other people from becoming infected. Uh, with that, we will now take questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press one, then zero on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the one zero command. If you are using a speakerphone, we ask that you please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, you may press one, then zero at this time. We'll start with the line of David Rosenfeld from LA Daily News. Please note, limit your questions to one question and one follow-up only. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, David. Uh, thank you so much for taking my question. Uh, quick point of clarity, you just said uh, 59 applications were submitted to reopen schools. Did you mean individual schools or districts? And then um, my, my actual question is, I wanted to ask you this morning, uh, several cities uh, mayors of several cities came together to urge the county to reopen card rooms outdoors, which is allowed under the current state guidelines. And I wonder if you can respond to their pleas. Um, they, they mentioned how uh, impacted their cities are. Some of them get more than 50% of their revenue from these card room casinos. And I wonder if you could just respond to that and, and, and explain uh, why they are not being allowed to reopen at this time, given that the state is allowing it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for the questions. Um, let me just start with the 59 schools. Those represent individual schools. Um, school districts are submitting to us the name of each school building that will be reopening, and that's really helpful for us because we'll need to provide technical assistance to each building. Uh, in terms of reopening card rooms, I, I really appreciate uh, all the mayors and the card room operators, uh, both for their flexibility and their patience. Uh, we do know that uh, the state has uh, some activities that are permitted in this county uh, that we haven't quite um, got, you know, quite uh, decided to reopen at this point in time. Uh, we've made a decision with our board uh, that we're going to hold steady until the end of September when we are going to be looking at what the data is that we've seen after the Labor Day weekend. I want to note one reason why we always have trend data is so that everyone has the same understanding we do. We've had significant spikes in cases uh, after the holidays. Uh, and that has resulted in us needing to sort of take some steps backwards. Uh, we want to avoid doing that again. Uh, so we're going to wait a couple of weeks, look at our data, review it with the board. And then, of course, as we've uh, noted to the card room operators, uh, we will be getting back to everyone towards the end of this month. Uh, but I appreciate the question. Thank you. Our next question comes to the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4. Please go ahead. Thank you, Patrick. For among those 59 schools, have you had a chance to re review any of their attestations yet? Uh, how many of them are going to meet your requirements, and how have any actually begun operating yet? Yeah, thanks so much for, for the question. It's super important. Because uh, it gives me an opportunity to, to clarify a couple of things. One is uh, schools are required to submit to us information so that we know that they're reopening. And you're right, in that information, they have to make sure that they're able to do, uh, uh, you know, some important things in reopening. Most importantly, that they can do it by adhering uh, to our reopening protocols. 
um, and that, in fact, they're meeting the state requirements to reopen for services uh, for, for, for a, a, a cohorted group of students. There are, in fact, I would say over half of the schools on the list uh, that indicated they'll be opening their services today. And our team is absolutely um, going to be talking with every single school um, and every single district so that we can be as helpful as possible to make sure that uh, schools are able to adhere to all of the requirements to do this reopening in a way that actually affords as much safety as possible uh, to all of the students, the teachers, and the staff that will be in that building. But it's a great question, and our teams are starting to get out this week. Um, obviously, pretty fast ramp up, uh, and we appreciate uh, those schools that are really already able to bring back students. We also know a lot of other schools are getting ready to do that as well. Uh, we've heard from many districts that even though they haven't yet submitted their applications, they have every intention of actually being able to bring back students who cannot be served uh, virtually uh, without some in-person uh, support. So thanks a lot for the question. Next question. Next question comes from the line of Haley Mungria. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, my question is about, um, I guess, what uh, will come in the months ahead, so especially since um, you know, we're coming upon the six-month mark of um, health orders regarding COVID-19 in LA County. Um, do you have any advice or thoughts for people about what the next six months of managing the virus in LA County might hold? I, I think one, one thing that's probably abundantly clear to all of us is that we're going to use whatever tools we have at hand uh, to slow the spread. Uh, right now, our tools are about infection control, distancing, wearing face coverings um, so that we can, in fact, limit exposures uh, to ourselves and to other people. And I foresee that in the near future, uh, we're going to have to continue to use those tools because that's what we have. I want to be extraordinarily grateful uh, to our scientists and our researchers that are, that are working on two fronts that I think uh, really will be helpful in the months ahead. The first is there's a group of folks that are working on developing uh, better tests for us. And when I say better tests, it's not really so much about the accuracy of the tests, although that is extraordinarily important. But it's really, for better testing for us means that it's much less expensive, and it's either a point of care test or a test you can take in your home, uh, and that you could take this test very frequently. Uh, because when we get those tests, uh, that will be a game changer for us here in LA County. And the second is the group of scientists and researchers uh, that are helping to develop better therapeutics, medicines that people can take who become sick or infected with COVID-19, and of course, our vaccinations. Um, so because we don't have the timing on when we might get sort of a, a, a more rapid test uh, that's easily administered, that's very inexpensive, or more therapeutics that will save lives and prevent people from devastating illness, or a vaccination that allows us to get uh, very quickly to herd immunity, because I don't know the timing on that. I can't really say with all certainty what will happen over the next six months, uh, except for the fact that I know that for the next six months we'll be living uh, with COVID-19 here in our county, in our country, and across the world. So we're going to still uh, need to manage, uh, with whatever tools are available, uh, our ability to slow and stop the spread of, of this very dangerous and devastating virus. But thanks a lot for the question. Next question. Next question comes from the line of Claudia Pesciuta with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. 
Hi, I have two questions. The first one is for Barbara. Um, I'm wondering how the Labor Day and smoke-related closures of testing sites have affected or may have affected recent case counts and test positivity rates and what that might mean for the county's efforts to move into Tier 2. Uh, any idea when that might happen? And then a question for Catherine. Um, given your comments, I'm wondering if you are linking protests against police violence to the shooting of the deputies on Saturday night. Thank you. I'll go first. Um, what I'm saying is, is that there's been a constant, constant rhetoric around anti-law enforcement. I support peaceful protests, uh, peaceful protests, but what I don't support are the type of comments, especially the ones made outside a hospital, blocking an emergency room where two deputies were fighting for their lives and you had individuals chanting what they were chanting. So I believe that, that we have slowly crossed that line and what you've seen is what is manifested in the shooting of those two deputies. So I, I do believe that, but I believe that um, there are more people out there that support law enforcement than there are that are anti-law enforcement. And what I've said is, we need to weed out the bad, but we need to weed out the bad in all industries. So with that, you know, I, I am focused on these two deputies. I'm incredibly disappointed and incredibly frustrated, but I have confidence in the residents of Los Angeles County that we will rally. And again, holding accountable bad law enforcement is important, just like holding accountable bad public officials is important. But it doesn't mean that all law enforcement is bad. Dr. Ferrer. Uh, thanks, Claudia. Um, uh, you know, it's a good question about uh, sort of what, what's been happening over Labor Day. Uh, and, you know, I know everybody who's out there, including us, is very anxious to figure out whether or not uh, activities that happened over Labor Day are going to create for us another spike in cases, which then leads to more hospitalizations and even more deaths. Um, and we are, in fact, somewhat challenged uh, about getting good data because we've had both extreme heat and uh, we've had the fires uh, that have created unhealthy air, condi air, air conditions for everybody. And what that's led to, unfortunately, is a lot less testing uh, that's happened. One reason why I reminded people to go and get tested is uh, most of our test uh, sites are, in fact, open. And even where a couple of test sites may be closed today, within five miles of that test site, uh, we have open community sites. So I want to make sure people understand if you fall into a category where you need to get tested, please go and get tested. Um, in terms of moving into Tier 2, uh, just a couple of things to note. One is uh, we get to move to Tier 2. That's the purple tier, which says uh, we have a moderate amount of transmission, but not widespread transmission. We have to have um, a daily case rate that is less than seven new cases per 100,000 people each day. Uh, the, the state posts that case rate on their website every Tuesday. Uh, last week, we were at 9.6 cases per 100,000 uh, folks. That's a daily case rate. Uh, so we need to go down quite a bit still uh, to get to below seven, which is the marker for moving to tier two. The uh, the other factor about how you do move uh, with the state system into different tiers is you actually have to see two consecutive weeks of having our case rate uh, be below uh, seven new cases uh, per 100,000 each day. Uh, so if you're asking me when I think we're going to 
uh, get to Tier 2. In fact, it's going to depend a lot on what happened over Labor Day. And then it's going to depend on us making every single effort we can to continue to reduce the rates of community transmission uh, so that we get below seven new cases per day. And we have to stay there uh, for a full two weeks before we can move into Tier 2. And just as a reminder, moving into Tier 2 does allow us as a county to think about other opportunities uh, for reopening. So, uh, but with that, we're going to turn to remarks in Spanish from Jackie Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. Gracias por estar con nosotros. Eh, hoy queremos compartir datos que demuestran cómo las acciones que tomamos uh, para frenar la propagación de COVID-19 tienen un efecto dominó uh, en todo nuestro condado, incluidas las personas que son más vulnerables. Eh, frecuentemente hablamos de cómo las decisiones que tomamos y lo que hacemos en nuestro día a día en términos de prevenir la transmisión del virus uh, no han solo eh, no son solo para protegernos a uno mismo, um, sino que también son para proteger a los demás. Para las muchas personas a través del condado que no conocen a alguien, a alguien que haya dado positivo por COVID-19 y muchos menos que conocen a alguien que haya exper experimentado enfermedad grave por el virus, um, esta pandemia puede parecer algo que le sucede a otras personas. Uh, es comprensible. Um, a veces se necesita experimentar una enfermedad um, y una pérdida para poder comprender la gravedad, gravedad de este virus. Uh, lo contrario, puede parecer que las probabilidades um, son pequeñas eh, de poder enfermarse gravemente. Pero para muchas personas en nuestro condado, este virus es muy personal. Uh, se han enfermado y aún uh, pueden sentir los efectos de su enfermedad uh, semanas, incluso meses eh, después de haberse enfermado. Miles de personas han tenido eh, largas estancias en el hospital. Y decenas de miles de personas se enfrentan a uh, un futuro sin alguien a quien aman uh, porque, estas, eh, porque esa persona falleció por causas de COVID-19. Eh, deseamos que el mayor número de personas en nuestro, nuestro condado y en nuestras comunidades eh, eviten tener que experimentar el sufrimiento y la pérdida por causas de COVID-19. Tenemos varios gráficos hoy uh, que demuestran el impacto entre algunos de nuestros residentes más vulnerables. First slide, please. Este es un gráfico que mostramos a menudo, eh, pero es una buena representación visual uh, de cómo las acciones de las personas y los negocios uh, afectan la propagación de, virus en, de este virus en nuestro condado. Como resultado de la orden más seguros en casa, eh, cuando se les pidió a las personas que se quedaran en sus hogares, uh, a menos que tuvieran que acceder a servicios esenciales, uh, y cuando las escuelas y muchos negocios cerraron para los servicios en persona, uh, el número de casos se mantuvo bastante estable eh, en mil personas o menos uh, nuevos casos por día. A medida que reabrimos uh, oportunidades recreativas y negocios, 
y que las personas estuvieron expuestas a más personas que no eran parte de su hogar, um, ya sea en el trabajo o mientras compraban, uh, mientras protestaban o mientras celebraban el Día de los Caídos, ya sea Memorial Day en inglés uh, o las vacaciones del 4 de julio, vimos uh, más casos. Y como resultado, las hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos aumentaron ya a mediados de julio, uh, aumentaron de manera alarmante. Después de volver a cerrar algunos negocios y trasladar, trasladar otras operaciones eh, comerciales a espacios exteriores, eh, nuestro número de casos disminuyó significativamente y volvemos, volvimos a frenar la propagación. Next slide, please. Esta gráfica muestra una tendencia similar de casos entre mujeres embarazadas a lo largo del tiempo. A medida que aumentaron los casos en todo el condado de Los Ángeles, también estos casos aumentaron entre las mujeres embarazadas. A fines de mayo y a principios de junio, observamos un promedio de aproximadamente 45 casos por semana entre mujeres embarazadas. Hasta junio y a principios de julio, eh, vemos una fuer un fuerte aumento en los casos semanales, alcanzando un máximo de 157 casos uh, semanales a mediados de julio. Y a medida que implementamos modificaciones en la orden del oficial de salud eh, para limitar las actividades que permitían uh, más exposiciones, uh, vemos que los casos semanales entre las mujeres embarazadas han disminuido. Next slide, please. Asimismo, los casos entre niños también aumentaron en julio. A fines de julio, los casos entre niños de 12 a 17 años, representados por la línea amarilla, eh, aumentaron a 869 eh, casos en una semana. Este es un aumento alarma, alarmante en comparación con el promedio de alrededor de 400 casos por semana que estábamos viendo en junio. Entre los niños de 5 a 11 años, eh, vemos un aumento similar representado por la línea verde. A fines de julio, vimos un máximo de casos semanales de 730 eh, en comparación con el promedio de alrededor de 300 casos eh, por semana que vimos en el mes anterior. Incluso entre nuestros más pequeños, los niños de 0 a 4 años, vemos el aumento eh, de julio, alcanzando un máximo a principios de agosto con 311 casos en una semana. Uh, en comparación con alrededor de 100 a 150 casos por semana en junio. Afortunadamente, entre eh, todas las categorías de edad, eh, el número semanal de casos ha disminuido. Next slide, please.
porque sabemos que aunque son muy raros los casos de COVID-19 entre niños, eh, pueden resultar en una enfermedad muy grave. Uh, rastreamos el síndrome inflamatorio multisistémico en niños uh, relacionados con COVID-19 una condición en la que diferentes partes del cuerpo pueden inflamarse, incluidos uh, el corazón, los pulmones, los riñones, el cerebro, la piel, eh, los ojos uh, y órganos gastrointestinales. Sabemos que muchos de estos niños con este síndrome tenían el virus de COVID-19. En el condado de Los Ángeles hemos tenido 34 casos reportados de este síndrome y afortunadamente no hemos tenido ningún fallecimiento hasta ahora. Pero este gráfico muestra que si bien las cifras no son grandes, eh, los casos aumentaron considerablemente en julio. Hubieron 13 casos en este mes en comparación con 5 casos en mayo y 8 casos en junio y seis casos en agosto. Next slide, please. Desde el 12 de septiembre, eh, hemos informado 1,689 casos confirmados de COVID-19 y 44 fallecimientos entre personas sin hogar. Este gráfico muestra los casos por semana a la línea blanca y los fallecimientos en la línea anaranjada entre las personas sin hogar. El primer aumento en los casos a fines de abril eh, representa en gran parte un brote en un albergue y como resultado las uh, pruebas que se hicieron en cientos de personas uh, que se estaban quedando en el albergue. Pero al igual que el resto del condado, Después de las reaperturas y el feriado de 4 de julio, cuando vimos un aumento general en los casos, uh, hubo un aumento similar entre las personas sin hogar. Y como hemos visto en la población en general, uh, hemos visto disminuir el número de casos semanales en agosto. Next slide, please. Y cuando observamos los casos de personas sin hogar, tomando en consideración si viven en un albergue o no, um, vemos que 862 personas que viven en albergues han dado positivo por COVID-19, representados por la barra blanca. Y 586 personas que no viven en albergues, uh, representados por la barra an anaranjada, dieron positivo por el virus. Hay una parte de esta población cuya situación de albergue se desconoce uh, y hay 241 casos en este grupo representados por la barra azul. Si observamos el aumento de casos en julio, vemos que hubo un aumento de casos eh, tanto entre las personas en albergues como las que no. 77 casos y 47 casos uh, respectivamente en comparación con un promedio de alrededor de 35 casos por semana entre ambos grupos en las semanas previas de este aumento. Hay esfuerzos continuos para mejorar el acceso a las pruebas, tanto para las personas que viven en albergues como las personas que no tienen albergue. Y queremos agradecer al Departamento de Servicios de Salud y a nuestros socios uh, por hacer esto posible. 
y compartimos muchos números en estas gráficas y somos conscientes de que detrás de estos números uh, y estos aumentos en casos hablamos de seres humanos, de niños, incluso de niños muy pequeños. Eh, los números incluyen mujeres que están embarazadas y cuyo sistema inmunológico que uh, ha cambiado debido al embarazo. Y las cifras representan algunos de los residentes más vulnerables uh, de nuestras comunidades, personas que se encuentran sin hogar. Las acciones que aumentan la transmisión, al igual que las acciones que disminuyen la transmisión de COVID-19, todas tienen un efecto dominó entre todos nosotros. Y ahora para actualizarlo sobre nuestros datos de hoy. Hoy estamos tristes de informar 24 fallecimientos adicionales. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos en el condado de Los Ángeles a, a 6,231 personas. El 92% de las personas que han fallecido por causas de COVID-19 tenían problemas delicados de salud. De las 1,859 personas que han fallecido donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, el 51% son latinos, el 23% son blancos, el 15% son asiáticos, el 10% son afroamericanos, menos de 1% son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y el 1% se identificó con otra raza etnicidad. Hoy también estamos reportando 733 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total a 254,656 casos en el condado de Los Ángeles. Actualmente se encuentran hospitalizados a 775 casos confirmados. El 34% de estas personas se encuentran en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 18% están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 1,747 um, casos de COVID-19 en uh, entornos residenciales y un caso en entornos eh, no residenciales. El, to el total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 33,625, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. Tenemos 17,005 casos entre residentes y 16,620 entre personal. Y también nos da tristeza a informa, informar que 2,756 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido a causas de COVID-19. Un total de 2,487 de estos, estas personas fallecidas residían en centros de enfermería especializada. De los 24 fallecimientos previamente reportados, 21% fueron fallecimientos en centros de enfermería especializada. Más de 2.4 millones de personas se han hecho la prueba en el condado de Los Ángeles y el 10% han dado resultados positivos. Disminuir la propagación eh, del virus ha requerido que trabajemos juntos de maneras que realmente no habíamos hecho antes. Y es... Eh, 
esto es muy importante y estamos tan agradecidos uh, con todo lo que están haciendo lo correcto, a uh, individuos como negocios, um, todo lo que están haciendo durante esta pandemia uh, y que son parte de la solución para reducir la transmisión de modo de que podamos hacer que los niños regresen a la escuela y que más personas puedan volver al trabajo. Durante las próximas seis semanas, el Departamento de Salud Pública trabajará con las escuelas de todo el condado uh, que reabrirá, reabrirán uh, sus servicios para un número limitado uh, de estudiantes con gran necesidad de apoyo en persona. Hasta la fecha, el Departamento de Salud Pública ha recibido 59 solicitudes de escuelas para poder reabrir para estos servicios limitados. Publicaremos semanalmente la lista de escuelas que han presentado solicitudes y las escuelas pueden esperar que nuestro equipo de especialistas se ponga en contacto para brindar asistencia técnica. Eh, queremos cerrar señalando que durante las últimas dos semanas, uh, dado el peligro de incendio y el clima extremo, uh, hemos visto una disminución en las pruebas a pesar de que nuestra capacidad de pruebas uh, en todo el condado sigue siendo alta. Queremos hacerle un llamado a las personas uh, que se hagan la prueba si tienen síntomas de COVID-19 si ha estado en contacto con alguien que dio positivo a la prueba del virus, si cree que existe la posibilidad de haber estado expuesto a COVID-19 porque estaba trabajando especialmente en servicios esenciales en un lugar donde está expuesto con frecuencia a otras personas, si vive en un lugar donde comparte espacios con otras personas uh, que pueden ser positivas para COVID-19, si ha estado en una multitud o reunión uh, donde las personas estaban muy cerca el uno al otro y no usaban cubiertas para la cara uh, y no mantenían la distancia física. Y, al, uh, y mientras averigua si es positivo o incluso si no tiene síntomas, um, debe aislarse uh, rápidamente para evitar uh, infectar a otras personas. Así que hágase la prueba si, si uh, tiene alguno de, cumple con esos requisitos. Uh, and now we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Shnorakalchun verahaskich bargeren yev ambogch verahaskich khorortin. Yeshat yerakta partem am ainameni hamar inch dukanumek mersurjani verakangman jana pare heshtatsnelo. Bari or bolorin. Shnorakalchun mezmianalu hamar. Այսօր ես ուզում եմ կիսվել տվյալներով, որոնք ցույց են տալիս, թե ինչպես մեր բոլորիս գործողությունները COVID-19 տարածում դանդաղեցնելու համար ալիքային ազդեցություն են ունենում մեր շրջանի ներառյալ խոցելի մարդկանց շրջանում։ Մենք հաճախ խոսում ենք այն մասին, թե ինչպես է մեր կայացրած որոշումները, ինչ մենք անում ենք առօրյա կյանքում վիրուսի փոխանցումը կանխելու առումով ոչ միայն մեզը պաշտպանում այլ թույլ է տալիս պաշտպանել այլ մարդկանց բայց շրջանի շատ մարդկանց համար այս վիրուսը անհատական է նրանք հիվանդացել են եւ դեռ կարող են զգալ իրենց հիվանդության հետևանքները շափատներ կամ նույնիսկ ամիսներ շարունակ հազարավոր մարդիկ երկար ժամանակ հիվանդանոցներում են եղել Եվ տասնյակ հազարավոր մարդիկ հարազատ մեկին են կորցրել COVID-19-ի պատճառով։ Ավելի անվտանգ տանը 
պատվերի արդյունքում, երբ մարդկանց խնդրում ենք տանը մնալ, եթե անռաժեշություն չլիներ, և երբ դպրոցներն ու շատ ձերնարկություններ Երբ մենք վերաբացվեցինք բիզնեսները մայսի ութից սկսած և երբ մարդիկ շպվում են ավելի շատ ոչ ընտանիքի անդամների հետ, դրսում գտնվելուց, աշխատավայրերում, գնումներ կատարելուց, բողոքի ծույցերին մասնակցելուց Եվ այլ բիզնեսների գործողությունները դրսում տեղափոխելուց հետո, դեպքերի կանակը զգալի որեն նվազեց և մենք կարողանում ենք դանդաղեցնել տարացումը։ Ներկա իրավիճակի վերաբերալ։ Այսօր ծավով հայտնու� Հինգը 65 տարեկանից 79 էին և 4-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Տաս անձի տարիքը 50-ից 64-ն է և 8-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 6231-ի տասնհինք տոքոսը ասիական, տաս տոքոսը ավրոամերիկացիներ, մեկ տոքոսը բնիկ հավայան կամ խաղաղ ովկանյուսյան, մեկ տոքոսը նույնպես մեկ այլ ռասը և այդնիկ խումբ։ Քովիտ տասնինով մահացած անձանց 92 � Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 733 դեպքերի մասին։ Եվ սա բերում է լոս անջելոր շրջանի նոր դեպքերի ընդհանուրդիվը 254656-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներարում են լոնգբիչ կաղաքում մեր գործ ընկերների կողմից գրանցված 11170 որոնք ունեն անկաղ առողջապահական բաժամունքներ։ 18289 մարդ ինչ-որ պահի հոսպիտալացվել է, որը կազում է բոլոր դրական դեպքերի 8 տոքոսը։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել է 775 մարդ, որոնցից 34 տոքոսը � Կնություններ են կատարվում 1747 ինստիտությոնալ բնակչության հազտատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, ոժանդակվող բնակելի հազտատություններ և կրա կատարողական հիմնար� Այս դեպքերից 17,005-ը բնակիչներ են, 16,620-ը անձնակազմ։ 
ցավով են հայտնում որ 2756 մարտ ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտուցիոնալ պայմաններում մահացել են կովիդ 19-ից եւ մահացածներից 2487-ը բնակվում են հմուտ բուժքույրական հաստատություններում մենք ցավում ենք այս կորուստի համար Եվ Լոս Անջելո շրջանի արցանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող եք տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacanet.gov Ավելի քան 2.4 միլիոն մարդ տեսավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցվել են Լոս Անջելո շրջան, որոնցից 10 տոկոսը դրական են։ Վիրուսի տարածման դանդաղեցումը մեզանից պահանջել է աշխատել միասին մեր պետական կառույցներից միջև մեր համայնքային կազմակերպություններ եւ հաստատություններ մեր բիզնեսներից միջև մեր համայնքի յուրաքանչյուր բնակիչ այս համաճարակը հիասթափեցնող է եւ ոչ միայն այն որ մենք հուսահատորեն ցանկանում ենք վերադառնալ մեր կյանքին եւ ապրել այնպես ինչպես նախկինում ենք ապրում Այս պատճառով ես արտակարգ շնորհակալ եմ բոլորից, ովքեր ճիշտ են վարվում համաճարակի ժամանակ եւ հանդիսանում են փոխանցումը խափանելու լուծման մի մասը, որտեղ մենք կարողանանք երեխաներին վերադարձնել դպրոց, իսկ մարդկանց վերադարձնել աշխատանքի։ Հաջորդ 6 շաբաթների ընթացքում հանրային առողջությունը աշխատի շրջանի դպրոցների հետ, որոնք վերաբացում են սահմանափակ թվով համախմված աշակերտների անձամբ աջակցության մեծ կարիք ունեցող աշակերտների համար մինչ օրս հանրային առողջությունը 59 դիմում է ստացել դպրոցներից վերաբացման համար մենք ամեն շաբաթ կտեղեկացնենք դիմումներ ներկայացած դպրոցների ցուցակները եւ դպրոցները կարող են ակնկալել որ մեր մասնագետները հանրային խումբը կապվելու է տեխնիկական օգնություն տրամադրելու համար։ Ես ուզում եմ եզրափակել նշելով, որ վերջին երկու շաբաթվա ընթացքում հաշվի առնելով հրդեհի վտանգը եւ ծայրահեղ եղանակը մենք տեսել ենք տեսավորման նվազում։ Չնայած մեր մարզում տեսավորման կարողությունը մնում է բարձր։ Ես ուզում եմ խրախուսել մարդկանց տեսավորվել, եթե կովիդ տասնինի ախտանիշներ ունեք եթե դուք կապի մեջ եք եղել մարդկանց հետ ովքեր դրական են եթե դուք ապրում եք մի վայրում որտեղ բնակելի տարածքներ եք կիսում այլ մարդկանց հետ ովքեր կարող են դրական լինել կովիդ 19-ի համար եթե եղել եք ամբոխի մեջ եւ հավաքույթում որտեղ մարդիկ դեմքի ծածկոցներ չեն կրել եւ կամ չեն պահպանել հերավորություն Պարզելով, եթե դրական եք, նույնիսկ եթե դեր ախտանիշներ ունեք, կարող եք արագ մեկուսանալ եւ կանխել վարակի տարածումը այլ մարդկանց։ Շնորհակալություն։ Thank you. This concludes the press conference. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.